fun to watch. Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfect. Oh, mercy. Five, four, two, two, one. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome back into the Mastin All Access podcast from the safety and comfort of my own home. I am Bobby Blanco. Thanks so much for tuning in. We're going to have Amy Jennings joining us from the very comfort and safety of her own home in just a bit. We really appreciate the time. we got a lot to get to this week. Um, it was a very busy week, both from the Nationals front and in the baseball in general. Maybe we'll touch on the Hall of Fame uh, voting or lack thereof. Uh, later on, but of course, a couple of signings were mentioned uh, since we last spoke last week. Of course, Ryan Zimmerman coming back, Brad Hand officially announced, along with John Lester yesterday. So we're going to hear from all three of those guys um, coming up on this episode. So uh, jam-packed, like I said, be sure to stay tuned throughout, especially if you're watching on Facebook, YouTube, um, or on Twitter. Be sure to comment along with your thoughts. We take your comments live. Uh, last week, we had a really good conversation uh, based off of your comments. So uh, we really appreciate you guys joining us throughout the uh, uh, airing of this uh, live podcast. Let's bring on Amy right now um, as uh, she is. And again, I am operating this from my, by myself in my home. So bear with me throughout this uh, um, podcast as we're going live. But now we'll bring on Amy Jennings um, on via Zoom. And Amy, good to see you. How are you? It's been a while since we uh, last potted because we did early last week. And now we're kind of going later in the week this week. We did. I'm doing well, Bobby. Um, hope you're doing well, too. Staying safe. Um, it's exciting because we have more Nationals news to talk about this week. Um, things are finally starting to get moving, especially on the free agent mark all across baseball. Uh, so lots to talk about, Bobby. Um, and I'll let you kick it off. What are we talking about first? Well, let's I mean, I, I think the big news, especially pertaining to us uh, as Masson employees this week was the news that came up on Monday. Of course, Masson is going to be uh uh, launching a brand new app um, and, and live streaming. We've heard you. Uh, we know, I think half of our comments, Amy, are, are people asking to for Masson to provide live streaming of the games. You asked and we heard you and now you shall receive. Uh, Masson on Monday announcing that they're going to um, implement a, a brand new sports media app, uh, creating an innovative digital experience that will provide viewers enhanced access uh, to cover across all available platforms, or we'll be streaming over 300 Nationals games via the app um, and online as well. Um, so a brand new website's coming. This is hopefully going to be up by uh, opening day, so you'll be able to experience your Washington Nationals in a brand new uh, way, in a way that you know fans have been asking for for a while, um, and we're finally going to be able to provide that for you. Right. This is really exciting, Bobby. I mean, it's crazy the direction that that sports media is going media in general um we're on our phones all the time and we know that especially for us because we are a digitally based platform uh, so this is extra exciting for us and i think this is this is something that people have been asking for for a long time a lot of teams a lot of other networks have headed in this direction provided this for their fans and i think this is a really really great addition to um to mass and Bobby. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, like you said, fans have been asking for a long time. It's it's been a long, it's been in the works for a while, and um, we're excited to bring that to you starting hopefully around opening day. Um, 
and and be able to provide that service for all you Nationals fans in market across seven states. We know the Nationals fan base is is pretty widespread across this area and it's ever growing too. You know, winning a championship helps that as well. So we're hopefully to bring uh, this club, your favorite club, to your phone tablet, computer, wherever you want to watch the game. Hopefully you'll be able to do that uh, once this gets going. So we're excited to bring you that. But first, oh, well, actually, that was first. Moving on then, I guess I should say, is um, the kind of the news that dropped over the last weekend. Uh, I believe we talked to Ryan Zimmerman on, um, what was it, Saturday? Um, you know, another weekend conference call with a player. I think the Nationals just like, Mike Rizzo just likes getting his work done later in the week and then having us hop on Zoom calls on Saturdays because it always seems to be we're talking to guys over the weekend. But Ryan Zimmerman back on a one-year deal, kind of similar to the deal he signed just a year ago, almost around the same time too, Amy. I think it was like a three-day difference. Uh, but we're going to have Ryan Zimmerman, Mr. National, back in a, a, a Nationals uniform uh, for the 2021 season. And I know fans are excited. We're excited. Uh, and this is the right call. And we were, have been anticipating this for a while now. Right. We talked about it last week. It's really similar to last year when they waited. They kind of let everything else fall into place. And Ryan Zimmerman wasn't worried. He has trust in this organization, trust in the in Mike Rizzo um, and the Lerner family because he's been there since the beginning of this organization. Right. So he just let it let everything else fall into place and waited for his offer. And he said he wasn't sure it wasn't going to come. Maybe it would be a minor league deal, um, but it came and it's something something we've been waiting for. Um, we probably could have predicted it would come he said he didn't mind if his career ended the way it would have if he didn't play this year after taking the last season off because of worries of the safety of his family his mom his wife that had just had their third child so it's exciting he said like I said he wasn't he was fine with the way his career would have ended but I think Nationals fans wanted to see him come out and who knows maybe this still won't be his last year but they wanted to see him play again um, he finally won that world championship which was so exciting and I think it'll be exciting to to see him back on the field back at first base because there's not a whole lot of stress we know he's not going to be the everyday guy he's not going to you know have to get a bat every single game but he's going to be a really good replacement and it saves the nationals money and and um the headache of having to go out and find a backup first baseman to to play behind josh bell bobby yeah and when the josh bell trade was made back in december over the past month we've been kind of anticipating this right we didn't really know who else the nationals could realistically pair with josh bell at first base um obviously a switch hitting but more so a, a lefty hitting uh, first baseman, not great defensively, but we're hoping, like we've talked about before, that the power kind of uh, balances that out in terms of his overall production for the club. And the name that kept popping up, who is a veteran first baseman with a decent glove and who mashes left-handed pitchers, Ryan Zerman fits that bill perfectly. And, um, and you mentioned uh, real quick, Amy, about you know how he said this might not be his last year. The deal is one year, $2 million plus incentives. So that kind of adds up to what he would have made last year. Of course, uh, make signing that one year about a million or $2 million deal. So this is kind of a combination of the two before he chose to sit out the 2020 season. Um, but, Amy, you mentioned that this might not be his last year. Well, Ryan Zimmerman also mentioned that in his press conference over the weekend talking about, uh, you know, this is not a victory lap. And he has expectations to help this team um, and contribute to the Major League Club throughout the 2021 season and help them compete. 
Right, and it's and he's a veteran guy too. Not only is he a guy that's been in this organization since the the jump, but he's a veteran guy. And this this team they're kind of filling out with a lot of veteran players, which I think will only help them in going after you know filling out their roster and going after this championship again in 2021. And you mentioned that he's a really good good complement at first base to Josh Bell because of course Josh Bell is a switch hitter, um, and Ryan Zimmerman's that right-handed hitter, but he's but he's been really good against lefties his entire career, even later in his career. He's 36 years old and still really knocking the ball um, against lefties. And that's a really good compliment to Josh Bell, who's slightly better against righties, Bobby. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's hear from the man himself, Ryan Zimmerman. Like I said, just met with reporters over the past weekend, and he talked about, you know, this is not a, a last ride. I'm not here for a victory lap. I'm not here to give anything back for the fans. Um, I'm here to help this team compete. Um, here's Ryan Zimmerman talking with the media over the weekend. You know, me coming back this year was in no means for like a victory lap sort of thing. I think you guys kind of know me better than that. I, you know, I, I don't, I appreciate this fan base in this city. Uh, much has been made about that. We've grown up together, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, this is about coming back because I still think I can play the game at a high level and I still think I can help the team win. Um, you know, if I can kind of settle into this role and do well this year, um, you know, by no means does this have to be my last year. Uh, you know, at least that's the way I'm looking at it. I don't, I'm not coming back to, you know, get a last at bat in front of fans. I mean, I'm, I'm fine with how my career would have ended if I didn't come back. Well, there you have it. I mean, they're from Mike, uh, Ryan Zimmerman himself, just talking about, Hey, I'm, I'm not here to, you know, just be a part of the team. I'm here to, play and, and get compete. He also went along in that press conference talking about how he wants to get his at-bats and, and get his rest, too. He knows he's not the everyday starting first baseman anymore, but he also wants to contribute any day he can um, and stay healthy throughout the course of the season, Amy. Uh, and, and, you know, this is coming from a guy who doesn't really have he doesn't have to give back to this organization much more. He's amongst the ranks of the franchise leaders in almost all major offensive categories. He, of course, is known as Mr. National, Mr. Walkoff, the the face of the franchise. So he doesn't really have to. If he didn't feel like he wanted to or or needed to come back this season, he didn't have to. He had nothing left to give this uh, franchise. But here he is, that competitive drive still in him, 16th uh, season, 16 seasons later, uh, he's trying to get back at it and, and help this team win. Right. And of course he wants, you know, he still wants to come out and compete and that's so important. And sometimes that the relief of pressure on a player later in his career produces really good results because the pressure isn't on him to be the everyday first baseman. The pressure isn't on him to be to be that defensive force at first base. Um, there has been, of course, d um, defensive worries with Ryan Zimmerman, as there are with Josh Bell um, coming in. But the pressure's not on him. When he's in there, he, he can be at ease, get his hits, compete at the plate. Um, but it's it's the pressure's not on him like it was at the beginning of his career. And that could produce good results because he's at ease, just playing ball um, like he knows how to do. Yeah, absolutely. And we're looking at his career numbers right now. If you're joining us on Facebook or YouTube, of course, 15 seasons entering his um his uh, 16th season with the club, all with the Nationals, of course. Um, you know, he's hitting over, almost 280 over his career, 270 home runs, over 1,000 RBIs, an OPS 
uh, just above 800. So he's been a solid contributor throughout his career. Obviously, a couple of seasons stand out back in 2017, earlier on in his career when the Nationals weren't that great overall as a club, but he was having success. Taking a look at where he stands amongst the Nationals franchise leaders, of course, he was the first draft picking uh, Nats history after the team relocated from Montreal. Uh, he hit the first World Series home run in Nationals history. He leads the team, uh, the whole franchise. That's including the Expos and hits, home runs, doubles, and RBIs. Also total bases, times on base, and extra base hits. Uh, he's second in walks and runs, only behind Tim Raines. And looking at his career numbers, his averages over the course of the season, there's a couple of categories, Amy, where Zim could catch Tim Raines and be, you know, he'll be number one in a bunch of categories. He's only 11 runs behind him uh, in total in franchise history. Uh, he's probably going to catch him in both at-bats and plate appearances. The walks, maybe not so much. He needs close to 200 walks to catch Tim Raines, but the 72 <laughs> singles he can make up probably in a, in a full season. Uh, he hasn't hit lower than 76 only three times in his career, uh, including 20 games in his first season uh, as a major leaguer back in 2005. So, we're talking about a guy that is going to have number 11 retired. Um, he'll be up in the Nationals Ring of Honor. A statue will be built out him out on South Capitol Street. I mean, he is Mr. National. It's not just the moniker. It's not just a nickname that he uh, got. He is the guy, and he has been for a long time, and he goes back all the way to last year saying he doesn't want to play for any other team but the Nationals. Right, and he, he even said himself, this year wasn't uh, this year isn't for a victory lap. But I think if you're a Nationals fan, it's like this is the year that he maybe deserves, especially since he's contributed so much to this team, and it was a perfect fit. Looking for that backup for his baseman, he fits that perfect. He's going to be a veteran presence on this team, and he's just what the Nationals need at this point in time, Bobby. Yeah, and, and just a quick note before we move on about the victory lap part. I mean, he doesn't want to do it, but I think, you know, I think us as reporters and both as fans of the team and fans across the area, they kind of want to give him a proper send-off. You know, to, after winning a World Series in 2019, he obviously didn't play in 2020, but even if he did, there weren't fans in the stands, uh, you know, to wave their caps, applaud him, giving that standing O. We didn't get to see that last at-bat at Nationals Park. Um, so I think hopefully looking down the line this later this year, fans are able maybe – probably in smaller numbers, if at all, but get into Nationals Park, catch a couple of games. Ryan Zimmerman will get close to what will be a proper send-off if this is, in fact, his last season playing Major League Baseball. Uh, we mentioned earlier that he could come back, and he said he doesn't think that this has to be his last year either. He could foresee himself playing. Um, and, and if this role works out, Amy, of him being the backup first baseman, pinch hitter, defensive substitute at first base, I think Davey Martinez and Mike Rizzo would be happy to pay him, you know, one to $2 million per year to do that. And, you know, he's just going to be the face of the franchise and uh, someone that everyone in that clubhouse can lean on and the fans will come out and see uh, night in and night out. Right. If he does his job, it definitely doesn't have to be his last year. I mean, you kind of expected that if Howie Kendrick or Eric Thames would have done their job last year, you would have seen something similar if they can keep doing that day in and day out. And then you throw in the fact that Ryan Zimmerman is Mr. National. They have that extra attachment to him. Um, I could totally see him playing for more time. Right now, it seems like this could be his final year. But let's say he goes out there, balls out. It could be a completely different story. 
Yeah, absolutely. So here's wishing the best for Ryan Zimmerman in 2021 and all the rest of the Nationals. But it's going to be good to see him back in a uniform taking at-bats at, uh, at, at Nationals Park. Again, we're taking your comments live on Facebook and YouTube, so be sure to comment along. Um, Zim will always be Mr. Nationals, says Barbara. Uh, I think someone said, hold on, I'm scrolling. Zimmer's back. Um, you know, Zim should be a Nats for as long as he wants. Kyle Ashton <laughs> reply. I mean, I totally agree. And we kind of just touched on that. If, if as long as he wants to come play and he can contribute, he'll be on this roster. I think Mike Rizzo and Davey will have no problem uh, bringing him back. Uh, all right, moving on because, you know, it's great to see Ryan Zimmerman come back. Obviously when we can talk about him all day long and his contributions to this club and his accomplishments, but you know, there are a couple of new faces that we need to talk about, too, Amy. Uh, a couple of guys have signed contracts uh, with the Nationals, a couple of free agents, one-year deals. Uh, the first one to come was uh, just over the uh, the weekend. Um, we talked about John Lester a little bit last week, but it wasn't made official until yesterday, so we'll get to him in a bit. But uh, Brad Hand, the left-hander reliever from the Cleveland Indians, signing a one-year $10.5 million deal with the Nationals. He really solidifies the back end of that bullpen, and what was once considered a weakness Amy is now maybe the strength of this pitching staff because um, we're not quite sure the health and durability that some of the national starting pitchers have going into the season we'll get on that we'll get to that in a bit but Brad Hand a major addition he was the coveted left-hander on this free agent market and he's coming to DC right we talked we finally started to touch on pitching a little bit because we knew the nationals had so many holes that they needed to fill we just got to pitching last week with the signing of john lester and then this comes and this has to be so exciting for nats fans because we know they needed bullpen help we know they really needed a, a veteran strong reliable lefty arm in that bullpen and they got the best one on the market i mean you can't complain about that i mean they were the sixth worst pitching staff last year and eighth worst bullpen by era um in baseball and now they add the best uh the best reliever on the market you have to be happy about that yeah absolutely and not to mention that you know he is you mentioned the, the era and the bullpen struggles that this team has had in the past uh and you're getting the best arm i mean those his numbers by himself will be a huge influx into this nationals bullpen and be such a boost for this guy uh and he's you know, flexible. He, he has versatility back there in that he can close games. He can set up games. Um, him, Daniel Hudson, Will Harris, and even Tanner Rainey and Kyle Finnegan, some of those younger arms are going to be a real problem if they can stay healthy and stay uh, productive. I, I think he's going to take a lot of pressure off Will Harris and Daniel Hudson specifically. Uh, we saw Daniel Hudson kind of get worn down last year, especially in Sean Doolittle's absence. Um, and Will Harris, we know, is getting up there in age, so his innings might have to be kind of monitored a little bit. But, yeah, Brad Hand, I mean, the, the numbers that he's going to be bringing uh, to this club are, are, are fantastic. And I think anybody would add him, you know, added to this roster. Uh, he was one of the best pitchers, relief pitchers, that is, uh, in all of baseball last year in 23 games. Uh, he led the league by finishing 21 of them, a 2-1 and one record, an ERA just above 2, a whip well under 1 at seven, uh, .773, and he led all the major leagues uh, with 16 saves. So, uh, you know, a great addition uh, statistic-wise. And, you know, when you hear from Brad Hand, you know, he says he can only get better, uh, and I think this is going to be an addition uh, that helps kind of take the pain or take the pressure off the rest of those guys in that pen that we've seen, you know, have to deal with year in and year out. Back in 2019, it was Doodle. Last year, it was Daniel Hudson. You know, maybe this is the finally the year the, the bullpen can kind of 
not relax, but don't have to worry about guys pitching too much or, or being strained um, or, or getting too tired too soon. Right. I mean, we get so sick and tired of talking about the bullpen struggles of, of Nationals baseball. Maybe this is the fine, final. This is finally the year that we see some some success out of that bullpen. This is a great addition. I think the two things that sticked out to me that what you said is is the consistency, um, his numbers that he put up this year, while a lot of pitchers numbers went down he led the league in saves and while his velocity was went down we'll get to that in a minute his numbers really didn't change a whole lot in fact only got better uh, so consistency is really important and then that versatility um, Davey Martinez especially at the beginning of the season I imagine his bullpen is going to be really fluid um, you'll see see different changes with different matchups um, and then maybe as the season uh, progresses we'll see that shake out somebody will find a uh, will um, uh, secure themselves as the closer um, and we'll see more of a certainty in that bullpen but at the beginning of the season it's going to be really fluid and this addition of a guy who's eight, who's versatile and, and can play multiple roles in late innings is really important for Davey Martinez. Yeah I mean let's look at the back end of the bullpen right now um, and you know at hand he's Statistically, uh, if you take his numbers from 2020, the best of, of the bunch. I mean, the only one who can really rival him is Tanner Rainey in terms of ERA. Uh, and Tanner Rainey didn't record a save last year, whereas Brad Hand led the major league. So 205 ERA for Hand, Hudson is 610, uh, Will Harris at 306, and Rainey at 266. Hudson did have 10 saves and Harris the one, but again, Hand with the 16. So you add him to that back end of the bullpen. Uh, like I said, I mean, I think the versatility, he could, he talked about this. He can close games. He can set up games. Whatever Davey asks of him, he's comfortable doing. So I think this is a real weapon for Davey Martinez and that he can play the matchups. And this is kind of what maybe he envisioned when the Nationals traded for Daniel Hudson back in 2019. I, we know Sean Doolittle was hurt. So that played a major factor into that move too. But I think in the long term, Davey envisioned being able to use matchups as a closer uh, with both Doolittle and Hudson, and now he's going to have Brad Hand and Daniel Hudson or Will Harris, who we know have has some closing experience as well. So uh, it's 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 really going to be a very versatile group. Uh, they're going to have to be flexible, which I, I don't think will be a problem for them. Uh, and I think Davey's going to have a couple of good weapons to at his disposal uh, in the bullpen late in games to protect leads, which we haven't seen in a while. Mm -hmm. And we talked about it a lot last week with John Lester is when you bring in a guy who's experienced, um, they can play multiple roles and they can do what the manager asks is and you can asks and you can give them a little bit longer of a leash. And that's why when you bring in somebody in your bullpen that fits that mold, it gives you a lot more leverage uh, late in games, especially when you don't know what you're going to get out of your rotation. I mean, last year they didn't see what they would have liked out of their rotation. They had to re rely on their bullpen a lot. So if a guy can be versatile, you can bring them in here. They are change roles throughout the season. That's really important. And Something that's been mentioned a little bit was mentioned when the media talked to John Lester. We'll get to that in a second. Um, is that his velocity was down pretty significantly in 2020, but pitchers or hitters didn't really see the see more success and instead they saw less success actually um they hit 270 off him in 2019 and only hit 152 off him off his fastball in 2020 so while his fastball velocity was down hitters didn't see more success and has a lot to do with his repertoire that he pitches or that he throws his slider 50% of the time. So the 50% of the time he's throwing his slider, that's a strikeout pitch. The other half of the time he's throwing his four seam fastball um, and his slider velocity moved 
with his fastball velocity. So while his fastball velocity dropped, so did his slider velocity dropped. And that velo separation is what keeps hitters off balance. And I think that's why he saw so much success in 2020, even though his fastball velocity was significantly down. Um, and when he talked to the media, he said that's what he's really working on, um, getting his velocity back up. But I don't think it's too much of a concern because hitters still didn't see too much success off of him. And he's still the best in the game, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a guy too. And this is kind of what I wanted to bring up as well. I mean, let's we'll, we'll hear from Brad uh, Hand talking about his velocity in just a second. But it's crazy that, you know, if you look at his baseball reference page, you see 10 years of experience in the major leagues, right? But then you look at his, he's only 30 years old. I mean, he's relatively young, especially in this bullpen. He's right in the middle of the pack when you're thinking about Hudson and Harris, uh, who are into their mid to late 30s. And then you've got, of course, Rainey and Finnegan and McGowan, obviously in their mid to early 20s. Uh, so he's kind of right in the middle of the pack. It's kind of crazy to think that he has 10 years experience and he's only 30 years old. And then also on top of that, he's already reinventing himself as a pitcher. Um, and we usually don't see that with guys this young still. I know 30 is kind of the tipping point where once you turn that page, uh, especially in the pitchers, you kind of maybe lose a little bit in velocity. And he referenced that and we, we've seen that. But he's already kind of reinventing himself, whereas he's still got the fastball that he's comfortable with. He's trying to get it back up to where it has been in the past, but it's not, like you just mentioned, completely ineffective. Uh, so he can still get some some good uh, spin rates off of it and, and hopefully a couple of swings and misses. But let's hear from Brad Hand uh, real quick. He spoke to the media just a couple of days ago uh, talking about how, that drop in velocity and how he's kind of compensating for that um, and how he's going to try to adjust that as he prepares for spring training. Yeah, I mean, I've been trying to get that dialed up this offseason was what is one of my biggest priorities this this offseason just to figure out what what was going different why the you know the velocity wasn't there because throughout the course of the year I felt great it just wasn't for some reason coming out the same that it had been um so that's one of the main reasons I started throwing a little bit earlier getting off the the mound a little bit earlier to try to you know get get that back a little bit and um you know I think as of right now it's it's pretty good so uh, we'll see what happens once, you know, games start. But where I'm at right now, I feel like I'm in a, in a very good spot. We'll we'll see where the Velo's at this year. I just think I had to be – I just had to be more fine. Like, I wasn't getting away with, you know, stuff, you know, middle of the plate. I had to, you know, really focus on the location and make sure I got it to the spot that I wanted to. Um, you know, obviously, when you're – when you got the velocity, you can get away with a little bit, you know, more of the plate and stuff like that. Um, so, I just – I mean, I – I felt good and it just wasn't coming out and I was just dealing with dealing with what I had and, um, you know, just grinding through it and just worried on location and just getting the job done and attacking guys like not falling behind. Just just put put them on the on the defense and attack them. Did you learn anything about yourself kind of through that process of having to adjust a bit? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, it, I think it helped me out a lot just being able to, you know, know that I can pitch at that, you know, range and. Obviously, I don't want to picture that range. I'm trying to get right. get that back up, but uh, you know, I just just had to learn how to pitch more. You know what I mean? Um, just trying to be, you know, on top of it and focus in on every pitch instead of just you know. Sometimes you'll get ahead and just you know let one eat and um, you know get away with it sometimes. But uh, just focus more on every single pitch and um, really bear down. Brad Hand addressing his uh, recent drop in velocity over the past couple of years of his seasons. But, Amy, like we just kind of talked about, uh, and he, he referenced there in that sound clip, you know, it, it's not too, too much cause of concern 
uh, for him. He, he's thinking that he can get it back as he continues to prepare for spring training. He's also readjusting and learning how to pitch differently uh, to try to get hitters off balance. And, you know, he has some success. Just because his fastball dropped down, like you mentioned, doesn't mean that he can't get guys out. Uh, he struck out 29 guys last year to only four walks uh, for a 7.25K to walk ratio, which is very, very good, especially for a reliever. Uh, he didn't give up a home run. All of last season and his uh, career home runs per nine is under one. So, you know, he's this is a guy that has had success early on in his career. Again, we t- I talked about how it's been 10 years already of Brad Hand pitching in the major leagues. Um, and he's had some success a couple years ago and now reinventing himself just a little bit uh, to kind of adjust to hitters as they adjust to him. Mm-hmm. And again, we talked about it last week with John Lester and that the best pitchers in the game, if you're going to pitch for a long time, you have to be able to adapt. When your velocity drops, you have to find ways to um, to compromise with that. And if if we see success in Brad Hand doing that, I think he could have a successful time in, um, in the Nationals bullpen. And they're going to have to rely on him. I mean, right now, he could very well be the only lefty in that bullpen. They have Ben Bramer and they signed um, Sam Clay earlier this season. But he's a younger guy um, and Brad Hand's the one that's going to have to come in and make that immediate impact. And I think the Nationals are going to rely on him a lot in 2020, 2021. <laughs> yeah, I got used to the, the, adding the one now. 2020 was such an easy uh, year <laughs> to say. <laughs> um, but you, know, you, you bring up Doolittle. I know we've got fans out there wondering, uh, you know, some of people are asking right now on the Facebook live chat, any chance that Sean Doolittle comes back? I'm look. I'm not gonna. I'll be. I'll be honest. My gut feeling is that no, he will not. But I also won't completely shut the door. I think if there is any chance that he does come back, you know, if no team takes a flyer on him, the Nationals would probably be the first in line to give him a chance. And you could see, you know, a non-roster invitee, a minor league deal with a, a invite to, to spring training. And like you mentioned, you know, the only other lefty that has experience in that bullpen right now is Ben Bramer. And it, you know, I I, I get that. If David wants to play the matchups as much as he, we've seen him do in the past couple of years, he's going to want another lefty in that bullpen, someone he can rely on. And if Sean Doolittle's offseason workouts in Seattle are going as well as you know he would hope and would like, no other team knows him better than the Nationals. So I, I, I don't see it happening right now. But again, if we get into spring training and Sean has still hasn't signed with the team, you know what's the harm in extending him just an invite to camp and seeing what he's got? Right. I mean, it gives you another option. And if he's capable of being an addition to the bullpen, then why not? It Just like you said, it gives you another lefty lefty in that bullpen. And we see it. We talked about it with um, like um, free agents on the market who are coming off of rough 2020 seasons. They're going to teams where coaches know them, where they know them well. And that's something that we could see with Sean Doolittle, who knows them better than the Nationals, who knows his work ethic, his ability to adapt um, and become better than the Nationals. So I think it's a possibility. We haven't heard a lot of a lot of talk about it, and we don't really know where he stands in his offseason workouts and all of that, where the Nationals stand in, in that being an option. Um, but it should, certainly wouldn't hurt, um, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, I, I mean, also, Reigns to be seen. He could get snatched up, and then that's that's that. But, um, yeah, it would not hurt, I think, once we get into spring training and he still hasn't signed, you know, we saw it in flux earlier in the week, uh, just a couple of days ago, of infielders signing one-year deals across baseball. Um, you know, maybe that reliever wave is coming over the next week or so, and maybe Sean Doolittle will be a part of that and we'll have a better idea 
of where he stands and how the Nationals view him um, and their own bullpen, where it stands heading into spring training, which, as we're, I mean, it's like three weeks, two weeks away, which is crazy, uh, especially since we got snow here in D.C. last week. <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'm sure some of the guys who are around here can't wait to get down to Florida in the summer weather. But um, let's move on from the bullpen to the starting rotation. You know, we talked a lot about John Lester last week because that's when the news broke um, and we were able to, to kind of break down uh, his career and what he would bring to the national starting rotation. But we heard from John Lester for the first time um, yesterday uh, speaking to the media once the Nationals were able to make his uh, signing official. Uh, Amy, I mean, just hearing from him, you can tell this. I mean, this guy's been around. I mean, much like we when we heard from Ryan Zimmerman uh, a couple of days prior, you know, Going into his 16th season, he knows the drill. Uh, the competitive drive is still very much there. This is guy is probably a future Hall of Famer, um, and, and he's looking to go to a competitive team and contribute and, and win. I mean, he said that winning was the reason he signed with the Nationals, not to mention the familiarity he has with the team already. So, you know, it, it's it was interesting and cool to hear him talk about how excited he is. Usually guys around his age who can get major league deals are just looking to get a couple extra dollars. Um, and, and before they ride off into the sunset, but John Lester uh, taking the deal and, and hopefully knowing that he's going to take a back seat in this rotation, um, hopefully bringing a little more punch to the back end, the later half, um, and helping this Nationals team compete for another title. And it's similar to what we heard from Ryan Zimmerman that we heard from John Lester is that they want to compete, they want to win. And that's so exciting to to, to hear from players that you're adding to, to your team because sometimes in sports nowadays, there's this superstar mentality and they're trying to get their money and they want the biggest contract yet. And, you know, all of that, they want to make headlines. But to see guys who want to be role players and contribute to your team's win and still have that competitive nature, even later on in their careers, some of the last years of their careers, that's really exciting. And I I think this addition to this rotation, I we talked about it last week, just being such a gutsy rotation and Max Scherzer and John Lester, these big personalities, guys are going out there trying to win, being reliable um, is really exciting. Yeah, it definitely is. And I, I think Nationals fans and David Martinez himself probably has to be pretty excited uh, to hear that John Lester is coming back, a guy he's familiar with. He mentioned, like Kyle Schwarber did too, the familiarity he has with guys already here. He te- said he texted Schwarber uh, the day it went down, or actually the day that Kyle signed with the Nationals saying, hey, I would love to be your teammate again. Um, and so that was something that was going on behind the scenes as these two guys prepared to come to D.C. What we didn't really get into last week, Amy, though, was this guy's pedigree in the postseason and and diving through some of his numbers we talked about all of the overall numbers throughout his career uh which i can flash on the screen real quick too you know the 15 seasons the innings approaching uh 2600 the wins approaching 200 the era steadily at 360 uh the strikeout approaching 2400 i mean like i said probably a, a future hall of famer in the making right here for john lesher but then you look at his postseason numbers and this is not look obviously the nationals have to get there first for this guy to play a factor but we talked about it briefly last week i mean imagine a rotation heading into uh, a five a best of five series in the national league division series where you've got Max Scherzer going game one, Steven Strasburg going game two, Patrick Corbin game three, and then John Lester game four, and then with Max probably going again in a possible game five. I mean, this guy has it all. I mean, this is in any other team, he probably would be the game one starter, and he has been before. So you're adding him that kind of pedigree to your fourth starter, 26 postseason career games, uh, a 9-7 and seven record, an ERA of 251, over 130 strikeouts, just 40 walks. Um, 
you know, he's only given up 15 homers in the postseason, has held opponents to just over 200 batting average, and he's 3-1 and one in five World Series appearances, including a Game 7, which he came in relief uh, and, of course, broke, helped the Cubs break their long uh, streak of, of not winning championships. So this guy, like we talked about it briefly last week, being your fourth starter in this rotation, and he even mentioned, I get to sit back and watch these guys work every every other day, and then I get to do my thing. Uh, uh, to not have that much pressure on me is, is going to help, and, and this is uh, a force to be reckoned with in the National League East now. Right. I mean, all they need him is all they need out of him is to make his his start every fifth day. And he has been consistent throughout his career. He's been clutch. He's been gutsy in the uh, postseason, um, doesn't have an injury history. Um, and to think that he's going to be the fourth man in this rotation is really exciting because you're getting a lot out of this guy um, who who has kind of reinvented himself, is getting to reinvent himself later in his career. Um, and it's it gives uh, Davey Martinez um it gives David Martinez another option. Um, this is a guy he trusts. He's been around, um, and it, it it's the Washington Cubs, Bobby. Yeah, it is the Washington Cubs. We we talked about that last <laughs> week. I mean, it, it's it's pretty funny, and you know that's not a bad. If an organization is going to be you know dropping some of their veterans like flies, that's not a bad place to start picking up some scraps because. Hello, they did win a championship four years ago, or I guess now five. Uh, they've made the postseason. The, the Nationals are familiar with them in the postseason. And now your manager, uh, of course, was with them and knows these guys on a personal level. And, you know, we talked about how much Davey gets the best out of his players. And, you know, I don't think Kyle Schwarber, uh, John Lester, even going all the way back last year to Starling Castro, would come here if they didn't want to play for Davey Martinez and believe that he could do the job. Um, but let's get into and hear from John Lester because uh, he did speak to the media yesterday for the first time, even after a couple of weeks of uh, anticipating that uh, he would be uh, officially joining the Nationals. He was asked, you know, entering your 16th season, what drives you? What's going to uh, drive you to compete every day and take the ball every fifth day and help this team? And his answer is pretty simple. He just wants to win. Uh, win. I mean, I think that's never wavered for me. I, I, you know, from from day one, uh, even in the minor leagues, till I signed with the Cubs to to now being here with, with the Nationals. Uh, I want to win. I, I I still have the drive to win. Um, you know, I want to bring another ring, ring to DC, and, and hopefully we can do that. Uh, but it just seemed like a great group of guys. I mean, playing against these guys for the past couple of years, just how much fun they have across the way. Uh, I know Davey brings an element to that. Um, you know, it's definitely a place that you sit across the dugout and look at and go, wow, that'd be pretty cool to be a part of. And I, I'm excited for that. I just hate to lose. <laughs> I mean, uh, plain and simple, I hate I hate getting beat. Um, I love the competition side of things. Uh, in really anything I do, it, it's, you know, it turns competitive. Um, I want to be good at what I do. So that, that's what drives me. Um, and now having these guys in the rotation, I think will drive me even more. Uh, you know, watching these guys for a while and seeing how good they've been in, the, in their big league careers. I'm just excited to be a part of it. Uh, part of this rotation. Um, but like I said, I, I just, I hate losing. I hate, I hate that whole feeling, um, you know, especially as a pitcher, you, you only get to do it every five days. So that, that day is just that much important to me. And, and when, when you lose, it feels like you kind of let your whole team down. So hopefully, uh, hopefully there's a lot more winning than losing going on and, and we can continue to have success over here. 
15 seasons later and he still wants another ring. He's already got three of them. John Lester was wanting to add a fourth to his collection uh, of World Series championship rings. And, and, you know, he's entering a team that he thinks can do it. And, Amy, he also mentioned, not to mention, uh, just not just the pitching staff, but the young talent. He also goes on to say in that answer, you know, what what uh, what appealed to you about the Nationals besides uh, uh, the familiarity with David Martinez? He said the young talent they have. He got probably the best player in baseball, the best young hitter out in the outfield in Juan Soto. So he recognizes the talent this team has, the potential it has. Of course, he's coming to a tough division, but you know he's looking for that fourth ring. Um, and, and before he calls it a career, and he, he thinks his best chance is here in D.C. Well, what's so funny is in 2019, when they won the World Series, they had the oldest roster in baseball, and now they're adding some of these veteran guys back. Um, they're headed in that direction. But then at the same time, they have those young stars in Juan Soto, uh, Victor Robles. Um, and that's what makes it so exciting is how they mix, how they gel together and put together this roster that has the potential to win a lot of games. Yeah. Yeah, would hope. And, and you know what, I mean, it's not going to be easy. Winning games is not going to be easy this year for the <laughs> Nationals. Um, I, I don't know a, a division, or I can't even remember a division, not just this this offseason, but in, in recent offseasons, a division that has been more aggressive than the National League East. And I, I, that kind of leads into our final topic before we get out of here today. Um, the, the big news also coming this week, not just relating to the Nationals, but the division at large is JT Romuto finally agreeing to return to the Philadelphia Phillies, um, uh, you know, a five-year deal. He sets the record for uh, average annual value per, for a catcher. Uh, and, you know, we kind of anticipated this was coming. We didn't think the Nationals would actually be in the Real Muto sweepstakes, even though I wanted them to be. But after we've seen the trade for Josh Bell, the adding of Schwarber, the adding of Lester, Brad Hand, we just didn't think it would be in the cards for the Nationals. But it, it reinforces that Phillies team, and it's going to make this division very hard to pull off wins um, that he's the best catcher in the game and he's sticking with a team that already has Bryce Harper. Right. I wonder if our friend is watching that was commenting last week saying that the Nationals need to go after JT Real Muto because they're going to sign some catchers. I mean, if they're going to sign some pitchers, they need a catcher. Um, but I don't know if he's watching, but I hope he is. hope he starts to comment. Um, but we knew JT Romuto was going to get a lot of money. Uh, we knew the Nationals probably weren't a good fit for them just because they had so many holes to fill. And he got a record contract for a catcher, most money per year for a catcher. The Nationals probably weren't willing to pay that much money for a catcher in the the point that you brought up so many weeks in a row is that he's returning to Philly, returning to um, another team in the division, which is never good to see, even though the Phillies probably sit towards the bottom of the division with the Nationals. Um, it's still never good to see a bat like that, a defensive force like that in a team that you have to play a whole lot of times uh, uh, in a season. Yeah, we're looking at the standings from last year right now. Uh, of course, the Braves went on to win the division, and then they were a game away from the World Series. Uh, Miami made the playoffs for the first time in, what was it, 15 years or so, uh, maybe even more. Uh, the Phillies just missed out, and then the Mets, who have probably been the most active team in baseball this offseason with their new ownership. Um, yeah, they even just traded Steven Matz yesterday for three prospects from the Toronto Blue Jays, and then uh, the Washington Nationals tied for last place, who, who have probably been like 
we've discussed maybe the third or fourth most active team this offseason. You know, people have been calling it the National League beast. I think that's a little cheesy, but it's not wrong. You know, it's this is going to be the toughest division. You had two teams make the playoffs last year in an expanded playoff field. I understand that. I get that. But the Marlins were supposed to be the worst team in baseball and the defending World Series champs and the team probably with the biggest payroll opportunities in the New York Mets finished last. So, you know, you've got a five teams looking to compete right now. Uh, and, and I don't know, you mentioned just, you know, you look, talked about how the Nationals were at the bottom of the division. My question posed to you, Amy, who is, we usually talk about who's the best team in the division. Who's the worst team in this division? I don't really know right now, on paper at least, because we haven't seen them actually play this year. But it's, gonna be, it's a tough answer. Who do you think is the worst team in the National League East as it stands right now? Well, it's tough to tell because things are still shaking out. Like the Phillies still have some free agents. We don't know if they'll sign back or what's going to go down there. We don't know if the Mets are going to make any more moves. Uh, It's definitely possible. Um, Right now, I would say it's probably between the Nats and the Phillies are the two bottom teams just because of all the the moves that the Mets have made, their rotation, the bats that they're adding to that lineup. And to me, the Nationals have the slight edge over the Phillies and that their rotation is better. I feel like their lineups are pretty comparable at this point, but the Nats rotation is deeper than the Phillies. They have some good young talent at the top of top of that rotation in Wheeler, Aaron Nola. Um, But the Nationals rotation is definitely deeper, um, and I think that gives them the slight edge but it's hard to tell at this point is that the market's just, just just still going and we don't know how things will shake out i don't what do you think bobby i, I think yeah i i'm kind of with you so i i always lean to the team to beat the best team is the team that won it and that's gonna be the braves they're the team to beat right now i i normally i think you would a gut reaction would be or a jerk reaction knee jerk reaction would be to pick the marlins just because they're probably the youngest team um, and the least experienced team right now. But again, they made the playoffs, albeit uh, an expanded field, but they beat the Cubs in that first round. Um, and, and, you know, they progressed through the postseason. Uh, so I, they have a lot of really good young talent. Of course, they've been kind of going through that rebuilding process for a couple of years now. Um, I, I don't think they're just going to be the pushovers anymore. I think the Nationals definitely can beat them and, and can be a better team than them. But, you know, it's not going to be an easy walk on the park. You're not going to be able to go to Marlins Park um, and, and you know, win three out of four or two out of three every single time you go down there anymore. It's going to be a fight. And we saw the Nationals not do too well against the Marlins this past year. To me, I think the worst team is actually the Phillies, which is crazy to think because, you, like I mentioned, they have Bryce Harper and they just signed the best catcher in all of baseball to an extension or re-signed him, I should say, I guess. Uh, but you know, you look at that rotation, that bullpen was an absolute disaster last year. Um, I don't think their pitching staff can match up with that of the Braves, with that of the Nationals. And we talked about how Brad Hand makes their bullpen way much better right now. Um, and hopefully that Hudson and Harris can kind of relax and, and ease into more setup or more comfortable roles for them and not have so much pressure. Um, and I don't think that the Phillies staff matches up well against the Mets either uh, with Jacob DeGrom so, I, and Marcus Stroman, guys like that. So I, I think it actually is the Phillies because of their pitching staff. They're also have, uh, you know, going with a, a new manager for the second, uh, a second year under Joe Girardi. So we don't know how Girardi is going to be uh, with that, uh, managing that club. Uh, but, you know, they've got all-star talent. Harper, Real Muto, you know, I, 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 it's not for a lack of talent. I just I think that other teams are better in more areas in the division than the Phillies are right now. It'll be really, really interesting and fun to see how it all plays out over the course of a whole 162-game season. 
hopefully we get that. But uh, right now, I would say the Philly on paper, all the Phillies are are the worst team in the division, and I still think they're a pretty solid team. You know, they're going to be above five hundred. This division could all beat up on each other and do really well against the rest of the league and, and their mm-hmm. inner interleague play. If there is interleague play this year, who knows? Um, but uh, I, I think they all can finish around or above five hundred this year, which is which is going to be pretty crazy. Right. I mean, the NL East is it's going to be be a uh, tough division um, because Don Mattingly, just like you said, has done a great job in Miami. They're not a pushover by any means. The Braves are going to be tough. Um, they're coming off. They won the division last year and then the Mets are adding all of all of um, these guys in the offseason. Then you have the Nationals who are trying to make additions, trying to, to win while they can. Um, it's it's going to be a tough division, but I agree with you there, Bobby. Phillies, uh, Nationals have a slight edge over over the Phillies and the Phillies, I'd say probably right now on paper, are last in the division. Yep. All right, just a couple more notes before we get out of here, Amy. Um, you know, with Real Muto re-signing with the Phillies, a lot of fans now asking where did the Nationals go for a backup catcher or to pair with Jan Gomes now. Um, you know, the free agent market isn't too, too hot um, in terms of the catcher. Uh, now that Real Muto's off the board, looking at – uh, t- uh, names that remain, Tyler Flowers, Yadier Molina, assuming he doesn't re-sign with the Cardinals, Robinson uh, Chirinos. Uh, those are probably the top three names still on the board. You, you dig it a little deeper, there's guys like Matt Weider still available, um, uh, Brian Holiday. Uh, that's pretty much it of them. Look, the more Alex Avilla uh, looking more down the list. But those are your three main guys in Flowers, Molina, and Chirinos. Um, and not to mention, it is kind of going under the radar, but Jesse Dockery of the Washington Post pointing out the other day that the Nationals have signed uh, Wellington Casillo um, and uh, Blake Swihart to uh, non-roster invitees. Uh, the, uh, so they'll get invitations to spring training. So I don't see the Nationals pairing either one of them unless you know one of them just has an outstanding spring training. Uh, I don't see the Nationals pairing either one. I don't think that'd be their first option. I think they would rather go out and see who else they can get to pair the on Gomes. Um, but it's going to be that's probably the next big question, right? We've addressed uh, bullpen, we've addressed rotation, we've addressed infield, we've addressed outfield, uh, and Kyle Schwarber. The next big question is who's going to be the backup catcher uh, for this team, and um, I think that's something to keep an eye on over the next couple of weeks. Right. This is kind of like the last hole that they need to fill. They filled that outfield spot, rotation spot, bullpen, first base. They've kind of filled all their holes um, except for catcher. And it's a pretty big one. Um, Jan Gomes obviously isn't your everyday guy. Um, I kind of liked Austin Romine, um, who's now going to the Cubs um, as a fit there. But it's not really a hot market. There aren't a lot of really good catchers outside of JT Romuto that were on that market. So it's kind of interesting. I know that... Um, that Mark Zuckerman wrote a lot about it, about how they could wait a little bit to get an outfielder because that there were so many names on that market and nothing was really moving. Um, that's not so true for for the um, the market for catchers this offseason. JT Romuto was the big name. Um, outside of that, every there's a big drop-off. Um, so it'll be interesting to see the kind of guy that, that the Nationals get, but you know it's not going to be a really big, hot name just because the market isn't there for catchers this offseason. Yep. Yeah, we were definitely thinking, all right, it's going to be a guy to be the starter and have Young Gums as the backup, or is it going to be a backup to Young Gums? And now we know it's going to be the latter, uh, someone who's going to have to come in and replace Young Gums a couple of days a week uh, with his pitching staff. Um, also, final thought, real quick, just because it obviously made a bunch of headlines a couple of days earlier in this week, Amy, 
No one gets elected to the Hall of Fame. The Hall of Fame in baseball has officially become the lamest party that there ever was. What were your thoughts on no one getting in this year? Uh, I mean, I don't think you can just put a guy in for the sake of putting it in. The rules are there for a reason, um, and it kind of is what it is. I mean, if you don't reach that 75%, you just don't. You can't just put a guy in um, and break all those rules. But I do think that this voting is kind of coming to a head, and over the next few years, we're going to see a lot of decisions being made, whether it's a change in voting, whether it's a change in um, we're kind of setting a precedent for whether we're letting the the steroid, um, the players that use steroids in or not. I think all of this is going to come to a head um, pretty soon. Um, and then we'll kind of have an idea about how the voting will go moving forward. Uh, but this, this is just craziness. Uh, Schilling doesn't want to be on the ballot moving forward, which is crazy to me. Um, it's kind of just like, dude, if you get voted in, just don't show up or something. I don't know. But why would you want your name not on the ballot? But anyway, craziness. Bobby, what were your thoughts? I, I'm just so over it. I'm really over it. I, I don't think this is not fun anymore. I, it's every year now, even when guys do get in, we're still having we're, we're, those are guys are getting overshadowed, maybe except for Derek Jeter last year. It's always going to be talking about the same guys, Bonds, Clemens, uh, you know, uh, Kurt Schilling, guys like that, uh, Sosa, even though he's way, way down in the voting, you know, he's never going to get in. But it's it's just not fun anymore. I'm so checked out. I don't care. Uh, to me right now, the Hall of Fame is meaningless. Not meaningless, but it doesn't hold the same as other pro right. sports I mean- Hall of Fames. Right. It should be the highest honor, right? At the end of your career, this should be the highest honor. And to have all this craziness is ridiculous, which is why I think where there's going to have to be a president set, it's going to have to come to a head and they're just going to have to decide this is how it is or this is how it isn't. Or guys, we're always going to be overshadowed. And just like you said, it's not going to match up um, to other sports. And that's not how baseball already struggles. You don't want that uh, the highest honor to, to reflect that, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. And, and I, I, this is not just, this is not fun anymore. No, you know, these conversations should be fun, right? You know, you talk about other sports, everyone's debating numbers and statistics and personal achievements over the course of their career. Now we're just talking about, you know, well, he was accused or he was proven guilty or he, you know, he, he's a bad person, whatever it may be, which I get all kind of combines into the character and integrity part that the Hall of Fame wants in their inductees. But I mean, it's just, it's not about baseball anymore. It's just not, we're not talking about guys, uh, accomplishments on the field we're talking about all the stuff they did off the field and whether or not that impacted the game or not so uh, it's just not fun i'm so checked out i don't care anymore uh, which is unfortunate because the hall of fame should be a museum of the sport it should be honoring the best to ever do it those who contributed so much um, not to mention there are people who are already in the hall who have been accused of cheating and have done much worse uh than you know take steroids during an era which everyone was doing it so um i i just you know we don't have to end the whole podcast on that or dive too deep into it. But I, my, my final line is just, I'm done. I don't care. You know, next year I won't really care either. I'm happy for the guys that are going to get their time who didn't get it in 2020 because of the pandemic. Um, yeah. They'll get their spotlight uh, in 2021 in Cooperstown. But moving forward, it's just year and year, especially after next year. Once it's, uh, I believe it's Bonds last year and I believe it's uh, Shillings last year. Mm-hmm. Hopefully after that, we can just move on. Maybe five or so years down the line, I'll get back into it. But for right now, it's just not worth my time and energy. And, I, I you know, maybe care. as long as the voters don't change, nothing's going to change. And maybe that's how it is. But I think the good news is pretty soon we're going to have to reach a verdict or or nothing's going to move along. So yeah. I think the hope is that something will change here uh, coming up over the next few years. But I'm with you, Bobby. Hopefully that happens. 
we don't have to keep dealing with all this. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. Well, Amy, thanks so much for joining me today. Um, you know, it was a long break, but glad to see you're doing well. Great conversation as always. Be sure to give her a follow on Twitter at Amy Jennings News. Um, and we'll talk to you next week. Really appreciate it, Amy. All right. See you, Bobby. All right, that's going to do it for this week's Mass and All Access podcast. Again, be sure to subscribe to the Mass and All Access podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to tune in every week as we go live on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. There's a video aspect of the podcast. Um, thank you for so much for all your comments, commenting along, adding to the conversation. We really appreciate it. It makes our jobs easier. It's a lot more fun when we can look at the Facebook stream and, and see people commenting along and can incorporate you into our conversation. So be sure to tune in every week uh, wherever you also watch the Mass and All Access podcast. I'm Bobby Blanco. You can follow me on Twitter at Bobby underscore Blanco. Um, and um, hopefully you'll be seeing me around more uh, throughout the podcast and maybe even on Mass and Sports if you want more Nationals coverage, be sure to head over there. Mark Zuckerman has you covered. That's going to do it this week. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we will see you next time.